Welcome to the Coach Haas Podcast, powered by Sports Rehab PA, along with our sponsors, Wheeler Sports Technology. Wheeler Sports Technology is a sports performance company specialized in software development, assessment devices, and sports training equipment within the field of athletic training and rehabilitation. Buy Optimizers Masszymes, 100% plant-based, naturally derived, best digestive enzyme blend out there right now. Highly concentrated with enzymes that digest proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Helps to relieve indigestion, gas, bloating, and fatigue after meals. Take it with the meals to enhance the digestion and nutrient absorption. Also helps to improve recovery after hard exercise and hard efforts. So go to buyoptimizers.com and use code JUICY for 10% off. Endurally Endurance Products. If you're tired of the marketing hype, ineffective ingredients, and lack of clinically dosed products, then you need to start checking out Endurally. Basically, it's made off of years of research and countless hours in the lab dedicating to validating the ingredients to give endurance athletes the best possible in performance. These ingredients and products have been tested on different individuals, different sports, and validated through training and the results of the athletes. There's no fluff, no fillers, no false promises. Everything that's on the label is in the product. If you want to check out these products and understand where you're getting the best quality for your supplements, check out EnduraElite.com and use code JACKED and JUICY for 10% off. Kaler Core Training Systems. The Kaler Core Column Training is the next step in the evolution of strength development, preventing training injuries, and elevating core fitness to maximize athletic performance. The column core is used to help remap the central motor patterns for functional movements to ensure that the movement quality is efficient before loads and demands. Helps to increase strength, flexibility, and speed by 16%, reduces training injuries by 75%, works quickly in six short weeks, helps to strengthen the core in the back. Used with multiple Olympic level athletes, NCAA athletes, as well as pro athletes in the NFL and other sports. Visit KaylorCore.com to find out more about the training systems. Also, check out Fit Life and Sports Rehab, Ivy Rehab, for understanding the systems as well in this facility. All right, recording in progress. Michael, Dr. Mike, welcome. How you been, man? All right, how we doing, Joe? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, So listen, we have a... Really interesting question, a super hot topic that I've been dying to to get to. And ironically, uh, through the ACL recovery page and the parents of the ACL recovery page, I found this question. I found it pretty interesting. So I want to pose it this way. Uh, Obviously, the topic is what does return to uh, play actually mean, right? And so where I got the question, and then we're going to kind of talk about the validity of the triple hop distance test and that return to sport assessment and how that, you know, how that, what the validity is there. But I did want to kind of pose this question. Um, This was from a mom. I'm going to leave the name of the mom out for right now. Um, She'll probably post on here. And so that's fine. I just want to kind of leave her name out just out of respect. But so here it goes. My daughter is five and a half months post quad graft 
and went for her six-month checkup today. They ended up testing her for return to play, and she passed with a score of 98%, meaning her surgery leg is almost equal to her other leg. I thought I would post some videos about this, okay? But then it goes, now we're just waiting to hear from the doctor to let us know what exactly this means. She's a 15-year-old ECNL soccer player and has been cleared by her physical therapist to do everything except contact for the past few weeks. Just curious what return to play actually means. As I know, she will not be playing in games this early. Now, we've talked about this a lot, right? We have many patients that we share together. This is a super hot topic right now. And when does that actually, like, when does it happen? Like, when, when are we actually, how do we actually know? And do we truly know, you know, um, when that actually is going to be? But I just want to kind of, lay out a couple of things as far as what re return to sport participation means, as far as what I'm concerned, you know, and, and the athletes that I'm working with on my end as the strength coach and the post physical therapy rehab coach. Right. So I want them to obviously, you know, be prepared in, and that can happen anywhere between that nine and 12 month mark. Right. Remember, we're talking about return to sport participation. Right. And where, and where, where does that land? Right. So displaying a normal running pattern, you know, not having increased pain, but swelling, right? All those things make sense. Practice and, and display without hesitation or compensation and be able to perform effort at 100%, okay? Practice and display normal loading with no knee or medial collapsing or varus or, you know, varus or valgus going on. And then practice and display with no hesitation or compensation strategies using cutting drills, deceleration, and being able, being able to perform that at 100%, right? So that's your return to sport participation. And then it breaks down a little bit more into return to play and the different levels of what return to play goes by, right? Now, this was kind of taken from, you know, um, some what some of the surgeons in our area are doing and, you know, kind of what we combine together. But I would say level one, of your return to play would be at least not at least 10 non-contact practices, stretching, warm-ups, skills and drills, right? They can return to full normal team practicing, you know, without that, obviously without the contact. Level two would be again about 10 practices, participating in contact or possession or skills drills. And, and no more than really one practice per day, right? Returning to friendly games uh, would be like your level three. And that's about 10 minutes of continuous play before resting, be, maybe being about 20 minutes total, right? And then you return to like the competitive matches and increasing your time in those matches, as long as you're not having, obviously, that increase in pain, increase in swelling and things like that. But I kind of just wanted to talk about that really early on and then kind of have you just take, take the platform and really talk about what it looks like on the physical therapy end. Because I think that what we're having a lot of is this misinformation, right? This misconception of where all this is going. 
and, and how, how to get them there. And I think that the, the tools that we're using, and we're going to talk about that, that technology alone is setting us apart from a lot of the other facilities right now. So I wanted to kind of go on that five minute, you know, tangent right there and then let you kind of just fill in some of the gaps, whatever I'm missing. Yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> I think that we have to back it up and look at what caused the injury in the first place. And that is what I think is the most important piece for the athlete and the parent to understand. And I think that that's hard for them to get it all in one bit because I think it's, you know, it's a lot of shock during that first initial evaluation. I think a lot of the kids go down with this injury and they don't really fully conceptualize what happened. Um, that's just from observation of seeing where, you know, their headspace is when you're talking to them in an evaluation, but also after you start working with them, they will admit that too. Like they don't remember a lot of what you said at day one. It's a lot coming at them, especially when you tell them like they're probably going to miss their senior year or miss something important. The emotions are just, are just flurrying in there and there's only so much they're going to absorb. So this is a continued, you know, education process that happens, you know, through consecutive visits. And the more that they start to kind of build up in therapy and, and break out of, you know, the mold of kind of just being limited on the crutch or the braces or wherever they are, I think that's when they start to understand the process and, and fall into um, this rhythm of knowing, okay, well, I'm on the road back and, it, you know, the injuries water under the bridge type thing, so we can't dwell on it. But now we have to look at what do I need to do to get back and make sure it doesn't happen again or any other injury. Because going back to play and doing some of the activities, it's not just that they're going to be a risk for an ACL tear, but some of the other type of things like, you know, getting back prematurely to running or even some specific type of just easy jumping drills. If they haven't demonstrated those, you know, prerequisite um, checkpoints that we look for, they could get other things to flare up. You get Achilles issues, you get ankle sprains, you know, patella tendon issues, other things that are telling them that their body is absorbing force and too much stress in these areas and the muscles aren't performing where they need to be. And that's the biggest take-home message that the injury happened because the muscles are not performing and the ligament took the blow. And that's what we're trying to get the athletes and the parents, even the coaches to understand. There's not enough of this reinforcement of, of targeting the right muscles and, and how to get them to you know, work in these shapes and positions that the sport demands. So, you know, if you're doing core exercises, that's great. You're doing stuff on your back, but does that mean you know how to use your core in the positions you're going to be in during basketball and soccer and field hockey, lacrosse? It's a total different thing because there's a lot of variables there and there's not an, enough of that going on in the practices or outside the practices. It's just very, very sport specific. So it's right. run these drills, run these plays. It's not, let me, teach you how to use these muscles again so that's that's what therapy at least the way we're doing it here in this facility is building up it's, it's exposing uh you know these athletes to things that they haven't done before um things that are important and it's really the foundation it, you know i think a lot of athletes are trying to build this this fancy house and there's no foundation there it's um and that doesn't make sense. You know, it's almost like trying to, you know, drive a car and your alignment is off. You're only going to push it so far until it falls apart. So that's what therapy builds up. So when we look at those foundational pieces, we're looking for those checkpoints to be there. Uh, the, you know, the sensor wearable technology that we use will really objectify that. So it shows how efficient they are in these shapes and positions and it gets rid of that eye test. And that's, that's really the future 
and, and of all, all medical field, basically, I mean, obviously for physical therapy, because we're looking at the way people move and it's, it's a physical type performance thing, but you're seeing technology break out all along the healthcare field. So we have these things available to us and it just makes sense to use them because this is how we're going to get better ideas of how, you know, individuals are performing, um, not only for just feedback on training, but also for injury prevention. Um, and, and this is really, you know, the future of how we're going to kind of mold athletes. You know, you have all these advancements in like diet, nutrition, yep. and, you know, there's all these other things available to us. So, you know, technology has its place. So when it comes back to, you know, the, the return to play, you know, as we're building up throughout therapy, we want to have that strong foundation, but then you get to a point where, you know, insurance companies don't really care that, uh, you know, your kid can't play a sport. And that's the unfortunate truth. They're only going to pay for their ability for them to get back to function. And we know that it's not normal just for anywhere from a 14 to 18 year old kid, or even at college level, just to be able to tie their shoes without pain. That's not, that's not normal function. You should be able to play a sport and insurance companies don't want to justify, you know, uh, reimbursing for that, you know, so it makes it hard. So that's kind of where we get into, you know, your realm, Joe, with, with strength coaches and performance coaches who do have out-of-pocket expenses. But then if you're going to pay out-of-pocket for that, you know, make sure you understand what you're paying for. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that you see, you know, kids are going through programs or they're going through training and they still are trying to do things that look cool or they're advanced, but they still have foundational deficits. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. You start to see those movement deficits and you're saying well why are they doing this i understand you're trying to appease them so they want to get back to sports up but they're not ready so yeah. with the foundation established in therapy you know there's there's milestones that we look for you know these shapes and positions so your squat your lunge your split stance your single legs look like this before you progress to that and just to double check it we use a sensor technology to verify and show just how stable or unstable you are and how far off the mark you are and if you are working on things if you're still on a trajectory to doing a good job and on your way to advancing, or if you've fallen behind, because again, you could take a healthy athlete, someone doesn't have any injury and you could put them on the sensor testing and just to get yeah. an idea where they are. And athletes will always fluctuate in and out of their season. They get very hyper-focused on certain things and they kind of fall by the wayside of some of that uh, foundational stuff. So it just says, Hey, you got to pick up with these things to parallel your training. Uh, so, you know, well, I'd say, like, listen, what we see a lot of at that five and a half month mark and that six month mark is to be on. I know the mom said she wasn't ready, you know, to return the play and she wasn't rushing that. That's fine. <clears throat> but to even be taking that return to play test at six months, I mean, we know that, okay, we're going to take them through the AMI assessment. Okay, fair enough. But you and I both know, based on all the athletes that have come through our doors, that I've never seen a kid at six months ready to return to sport. All right. Yeah. Now you're talking about a high level sport, right? You're talking about ECNL soccer. You know, we have a lot of girls that we work with that are in the ECNL, right? So I know the level of competition and I know what a, what a, what a athlete should look like at its, at their highest level. So why would we be putting these kids at risk? And so who were some of these physical therapists, or, or doctors, what, what are they using or what are they seeing that it, that it allowing these kids to go back? Because there's been several instances where athletes have been cleared to do, you know, more advanced training with me 
And after they've done the assessment with you, we realize that they're not even where they're supposed to be at that five and a half month mark or six month mark. So it's really important about, you know, the therapist that you're working with too, and the mindset that they have and the creativity that they're going to need, right? Because like you were just saying with insurance, you know, it's only going to last so long. And then from that point, what are you going to do? How do you get creative? Because we know that when physical therapy is over, you're clearly not ready, no matter how much a physical therapist wants to step into the other scope of things, it just doesn't look the same. I'm sorry if I'm upsetting people with that, but the fact of the matter is that yeah. they're just not ready. And this is what I'm seeing. This is what you're seeing. So it's not like I'm guessing at this. Yeah, there's only so much that you can accomplish too within that four to five, four to five month mark. And it also comes down to compliance on the athlete's end. You know, a lot of them, you know, being willing to, you know, obviously attend the therapy, do the amount of sessions that are prescribed and also do stuff at home. And we've, we've implemented that home exercise plan um, app on, you know, the trainerize because then we could actually put up the videos of the things that we want the athletes doing and practicing it the way that we showed them in therapy. So they're reinforcing the same patterns because the more they practice that outside of therapy, the more their body's going to learn and then they'll be able to progress faster and sooner in terms of, you know, getting the concept down, you know, maybe starting to add in more weights, more resistance, more volume, and that's going to get their milestone at the end of therapy better. So they have a better start for the next phase, right? they're not practicing enough, then that means they're not getting enough of that exposure to those movements and they're going to have less progress by the time. Or, you know, again, if you have an insurance company that only gives you like 20 visits or something, how are you going to make the best out of those therapy sessions? Well, if you can only afford to come in, you know, maybe once a week or something like that, or if you are paying out of pocket and you have to do that, well, then once a week of therapy is not enough. And what are you doing on your own? So you have to make sure you're practicing and doing the right things on your own. But to back up too, to go on what is being cleared, you know, we talked about this with a lot of surgeons that we brought on to our podcast and even the ones that we do have conversations with outside of that. And, you know, the surgeons are really clearing based on healing, saying that the tissue now is healed enough that you could go back and do activity. But they're not, sometimes they leave out the message that we have to look at your biomechanics. We have to look at all your muscles firing in these positions to stabilize. So that's where you do, you know, the limb symmetry index. So you're comparing a surgical side to a non-surgical side, but you're considering that that non-surgical side is good. You don't know if that non-surgical side is weak or deficient. So that right, limb that's, symmetry- that's the gold standard, right? But we don't know. Yes. You can be, you could be comparing garbage to garbage, basically. Right. And a lot of the times we see it's the non-injured side was a culprit for this other side to get injured because they've been compensating or they're weak or they just have some type of movement dysfunction and they favor one side. So to compare each side is is an outdated measure. It's got to see what are we comparing and what metrics are we looking at to say are symmetrical limb symmetry index of what? Are they the same in terms of a single leg squat? Are they same in terms of their single leg hopping? Okay, their quad strength is great. But that's only one metric, you know, are they able to control themselves under fatigue, under velocity, when it's raining, when it's humid, when another player is coming at them? How does that single leg stability hold up? These are the the progressions that happen after therapy. And these are the things that, you know, a strength coach, a performance coach, you know, like what Joe, some of the other coaches we have in this facility do is 
build them up along that because, you know, when you're coming off the surgery, you have a long period of time where your cardiovascular system is not through that type of stress. Yep. Your heart rate hasn't been elevated. There's only so much that you're doing there in PT. You start to get you exposed with some of that, but not at the level where you're really doing conditioning. Not to mention insurance most likely doesn't really pay for that stuff. But where you're doing more of the conditioning and you're operating and you're doing these movements and positions, whether it's strength training or, you know, some of the more like sports specific stuff, like maybe even touching and handling a ball and with the drills under fatigue, you know, and also starting to get you used to being under time, under tension for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Those are the prerequisites that have to happen before you get released to the field. You can't just go from physical therapy where your heart rate is at a certain baseline, right. your stress levels are at a certain baseline to all of a sudden right off of that and then playing with other guys or girls on the field and you know other variables like I said humidity turf field things like that people yelling at you there's a lot of other things that involve that progression and that's where another piece comes in in terms of kinesiophobia and kinesiophobia is a term for the fear of movement and that's why we do a survey called the TSK 11 which we have the athlete fill out and it's them rating themselves on how confident they feel in some of these movements and how they feel about the injury. And higher scores are correlated with higher chance of injury. And also you can even see it in the way the athlete moves when we get them back to doing certain things, they're very hesitant. So, you know, even an example is, you know, hospital special surgery specialists use, you know, some of their specialists there will actually hit the kids with a foam roller or something in the leg to simulate them getting hit by another player, taking a cleat to the shin, things like that. You know, Joe, you do very similar things of bouncing them off a Swiss ball, doing things we have to stop on a dime. So getting them that neurocognitive, which means brain yep. connection to the rest of the body, you know, uh, back into preparing for those type of stimuli and, and engagements is important before you release them onto the field. That's why we talk about the stages of the return to play and getting back to just running these drills and focusing on the drills and not focusing on my injured leg. And, and being you know aware of field awareness and where things are, so non-contact, then being able to do that when other players are interfering with me, but also not just other players, players that are my teammates and my friends understand that I'm injured is a total different thing than if you go to a showcase or a tournament and you're playing against other girls that are competing for that spot and they know you're injured. Look, we know there are people out there that are gonna play dirty. We know there are parents out there that are gonna encourage that behavior. Yep. Whether you like it or not, yep. you know, we all know it's out there and they're going to encourage them to, to injure that child because it's either your, you or that child for that scholarship or for that, that position. So that's going to happen. So there's a lot of things that we do to protect and ensure that the athlete is ready to get back to these phases. And that's why it's such a, a checkpoint versus checkpoint with the testing, because we've seen in the past that it hasn't been done in this organized algorithm and kids are re-tearing a second, a third time. Yep. They're dropping out of sports. Absolutely. You know, um, yep. We are seeing too that there is more research coming out to show that females will drop out of sports at the age of 15 more than males. You yep. know, um, and, that's, and that's, I believe that's beside just the injury in itself. Then you yes. add the injury to it and then you're going to see more of that drop off. Yeah. Now so we're talking about. There's a tie into right. it. We're talking about the, you know, the different testing and stuff like that. Let's talk about the, the, the subtopic of tonight or today and the validity of the triple hop distance test and how they're using that still as a sport assessment test and what we're using now as far as the technology. So kind of 
explain that, you know, that's the, again, that's the subtopic for today. So let's hit on that a little bit. Well, they originally would use, you know, a single hop test just to see if the athlete can jump off of one leg and land. And they wanted to see if they could control their balance with that and also achieve the same distance. But there's a lot of subjectivity behind that. And it's the same with the, uh, with the triple hop test. They want to see, can they do consecutive bounding? Because that simulates the plyometric ability that happens with running. Running is consecutive hops and bounds and to see if they could, you know, produce force, accept force and then do it again. But again, there's a lot of subjectivity to that. So even if you get the same distance on each leg, your biomechanics to get there might not be good. So you're doing whatever it takes to jump that distance. And some of those movements and compensatory factors that are, are being used to achieve that distance are not healthy movements. And it's the wrong muscles are firing. And that goes back into the same feedback mechanism what could have caused the injury in the first place. So it's basically like the example I use is, you know, flooring your car with the emergency brake on. You might've won the race, but you destroyed your car to get there. I mean, yeah. you did whatever you had to do to win. But you're destroying your body. Yeah. Well, we have a great so much. Yeah. So much your body can handle compensation. Yep. So if you're doing those compensatory factors when you're fresh, you might get away with it. But when you're tired, like at the end of a tournament, hydration's low. You know, your your energy stores are getting depleted. It's humid or it's hot yep. or whatever. It's cold. Now your body has all these extra factors to work against, and there's only so much it could stabilize. And all of a sudden, something's going to give. Yeah. Well, I mean, a perfect example of what, you know, that test, we have a, an athlete that went for her return to play test and they did the single leg hopping and they passed her, gave it to the surgeon. The surgeon cleared her, but a day later she had done the assessment with you and you sent the results. Oh, and by the way, the surgeon called the parent and said, you know what? Never mind. I changed my mind. She's not ready for that yet. We got some more information. Wink, yeah. wink. We got more information. I believe that the information probably came from you. You know, so I think that the subjective end of that they saw, and then they realized that the objective end was saying more. And so maybe some of them numbers that were subjective where they're like, ah, you know what, we'll, we'll pass her. You know, we're having a good day today. Like, this is not about like whether you're having a good day, you know, we need objective yeah. data and not you deciding like, uh, well, you know, it didn't look that bad. And plus like Dr. Trent says, our eyes cannot break things down at 250 frames per second. Like the objective data that you're using with the, with the um, sensible wearable technology. Yeah. And you know, uh, for reference, Dr. Trent Nessler is the specialist physical therapist that uh, helped create the, the Dorsa V center technology. And, you know, uh, promoting it so much because it is being, it's being pushed more, you know, throughout the nation. I mean, at this point, there's probably over 60,000 assessments being used with it on athletes all across at, at all levels. And it's starting to make its way into facilities. And we're fortunate that be one of the facilities that has it, but there's a lot of places that still aren't using it. And, it, and it's dangerous because again, yes, kids are getting cleared based on very, you know, old, like outdated metrics. So, you know, and, the, and these sensors can also show like, you know, the effectiveness of like how much force output are being, is being done with the jump. So when they do repetitive jumping, are they producing the force? Are they getting tired, you know, with that? How effective are, you know, are those? There's a lot of other things that we can't see with the eye that, that shows. And, you know, look, it's, it's really not about also, you know, hurt feelings too. I mean, I, I don't want to say something just to, 
put a smile on a kid's face because if they go back down and re-injure themselves, that's going to be worse than them taking some bad news and saying, look, you have to work a little harder or you're not exactly. ready. I'd rather have you put in another four to six weeks of hard work than have to go through this another year of rehab because you retour. Yep. You didn't want to put in, you know, it's either a pay now or pay later type deposit. And a lot of people are willing to pay later because they, they want to do this, you know, quick, quick response, quick, you know, um, you know, a quick achievement type, you know, a society we live in. We want a quick fix and just get back to it. And it's detrimental because the longer you're away from the sport and the longer you're working at this, it does take a mental toll. It, it yep. decreases confidence. It decreases, you know, um, positive, you know, thoughts about the sport and, and, you know, purpose in the athlete. And especially, you know, as a teenager trying to go through this, I mean, teenagers should not be spending, you know, their teenage years in therapy yep. clinics rehabbing. They should be out playing sports and, and having fun doing it, not being in pain. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? Um, at the end of this, we'll have all in, in the notes, I'm going to have the, the information about the validity of the, the hop test that was um, researched that Dr. Trent had put out. I don't know if it was from him, but he had put that out there. We'll also put up the link for the Dorset V so people can go and look more into that information and see what we're using. And again, like we've said before, other clinics may have this technology but are they using it and using it the right way? And how are they then prescribing it once an athlete goes through that assessment, right? Well, there are, there's a, there's a lot of places that do have technology, but they don't use them because they're a factory-based setting. So just because, you know, it's also, this is a tough part too, because, you know, sometimes you have an insurance and you're capitated to a place or your coverage, you have a low copay, or, you know, it, it covers you 100%, but then the quality of care there is not great. You're in a factory-style setting where you're only in there because, yeah, that place has a contract with your insurance. So no matter what they do in therapy, they get a set reimbursement. So they could just have your child in the corner doing the bike and a couple of, you know, just rudimentary exercises and things that don't really need to be in a physical therapy clinic doing. The therapist never puts their hands on them. They're never around. But you're covered 100%, but you're really just wasting your time. Yep. So sometimes if it comes to, if you understand the value of what you're paying for, I think you'll be more apt to wanting to pay that money because it's also for your child's health care. And you know that they're, they're, they're getting better or they're, that you're going to put the pressure on them to put the work in. Like, look, I'm paying a lot of money for you to do this. You got to be doing your exercises, do this practice every day. You know, you still could socialize and have fun with your friends and do stuff, yep. but you have to make time to do this. Like this is the focus now. So it's, you know, yeah you look at places like that that do have it but they're not using it because they're so busy just crunching numbers they don't yep. have the time to actually use these things to work with the patients yeah you know what's funny so let's tie this back in to the actual question here right when is the right time for an athlete to return and and you know the loaded question is this right it depends it's going to depend. And, and I'm sorry that people, you know, if that's what you were waiting for on this episode, I'm sorry, because it's going to depend on the athlete. It's going to depend on what you're doing outside of the clinic. It's going to depend on a lot of other factors. But what I can say is that at five and six months for a high school athlete, even a college athlete that, again, doesn't have a lot of experience with strength training on top of that. You, let's just think about this. This is going to be a long period of time. But all these metrics that we talked about in here are all important and they should have, you know, they, they should be a part of your progress going back and understand that 
it's just going to depend. I'm not telling you that it has to be exactly 12 months today, you know, exactly 14 months, exactly nine months. It's going to depend on the athlete, right? Okay, that's fine. But these metrics, they need to be hitting them and they need to be getting good scores. And then kind of talk to us a little bit about the scoring system with that. Yeah, I mean, to maybe give a little more, even like a less, uh, I don't know, vague answer. Basically, the sooner your child could demonstrate, you know, the key checkpoints in these movements, the sooner they'll get back to the next phase. So really, the harder they work and the more they practice, the sooner they'll get back. Yep. Because it's all neuromuscular control. The more the body can demonstrate resilience and tolerance to these movements and positions, the sooner they'll get back to all those sports positions. And then why do we go to practice? Why do, why do we have these coaches have three-hour practices? What are they practicing? You want to get the plays down right. You want to get the resilience to running those things right. It's the same thing with this. Yep. You have to get it down right. The sooner you get it down, the sooner you get better. But the problem is, is a lot of these practices are focusing too much on that. And I think that we could reduce the risk of injury and get kids back sooner if we get more cooperation from the coaches. And a lot of that comes from, you know, the listeners here, the parents, putting pressure on the coaches saying, look, if you don't have the bandwidth to provide strength and performance sessions to help do these foundational things for the team, then tie them in and let's find facilities that do that and make part of the practice or maybe part of the money that you're paying for in the club goes to that. Cause we do yep. have some clubs that do that. Yeah. You uh, see that more with lacrosse than anything, but there's, there's something to be said about that for sure. Yeah. So I do understand where your money's going towards. I understand, you know, fancy looking cleats and, and nice uniforms is cool, but it doesn't matter if your daughter or your son is injured and sitting on the bench, <laughs> you know, $300 cleats. Why don't we look at $300 towards a strength and stability program for the summer or for, or for the winter or nutrition like yeah. These are all the resources. Or an they, online program that you can do at least some of the basic stuff at home. Yes. And these are the things that we started implementing in our facility, networking with providing individuals the right resources for nutrition. You know, we do stuff with the whoop strap for recovery. There's a lot of other things that we could get on on future episodes and discuss on how it ties yeah. in. But these are things that not only safety net, you know, the athlete from injury, but improve performance. If that's the biggest bell that should go off from this thing too is i want that the athletes that will listen to this and the parents listen to that all this stuff this is how your child gets better at the sport not practicing the sport specific over and over there's only so much you're going to get yep. from three hour practices day in and day out after a while it's diminishing return the kids are tired you know they're exhausted from school they don't sleep enough they're not their nutrition isn't good and they're just getting pushed and pushed and pushed dial it back and do the foundational do the foundational components because the only way to get from you know point A to point B is to have these muscles function better. So if you want to get to the ball faster, those shapes and positions in that split stance position, in that single leg pattern, those muscles have to fire faster and efficiently. Yep. If they are not doing that, it's just more effort for the athlete to get there. So it's they get tired faster because they're using all this extra energy and all these extra mechanics just to do a simple task, they're going to get tired. Yep. So when you're running these three-hour practices and they're doing the same thing over and over again, all they know is to do these, these, these survival mechanisms that their body's doing, and eventually that's going to burn out. Yep. As opposed to them understanding the movement and going from point A to point B very efficiently, it's less energy. Then they can last longer in the game and the practice instead of getting exhausted. Because right now, these kids are just getting exhausted because they're using all this extra energy not to complete the duration of the practice, but also just to do simple movements. Yep. So to tie into the scoring of the test, the test really starts to show 
really like how efficient you are, how close you are and how much you, if you have a spread of movement. So if you want, you know, at zero to be how stable you are and you don't want to go more than five degrees in each direction of instability, the wider the spread, the lower the score. You want to close that spread. Gotcha. The only way to close that spread is continuing to practice that movement and understand that and then being able to translate it into, into these sports specific positions. So that's really what, what, what that testing kind of comes in to do is it just really shows a clearer picture of what's going on and it gets you to understand the things you need to focus on. So you know what you're spending your time on doing, yep. not just doing like blanket exercises and say, well, I did some strength and stability. You have to really focus and pinpoint the things that you need to do for your sport because every athlete's a little bit different. You know, a taller female or a taller individual will squat differently than a shorter one, you know, and then depending on their position, they're going to have different demands on their body. So they might need more work on this. And also the other thing to consider too, is even with the, with the, with the males, they're growing differently than the females. Yep. So you might have a 15 year old boy one week, he's taller than he was last week. His movements are going to change. And that's yep. another thing that high school coaches and parents have to consider that where your kid is now, he's going to be completely different six weeks from now. Yep. And that totally changes the makeup of what's going on. So as long as he's practicing these foundational things, as you know, maybe one leg is growing a little faster than the other, or, you know, he's kind of shifting a little bit. The more you practice these foundational things, the more you're, you're limiting keeping balance yep. symmetry and you're keeping a balance. Yep. And it's the same thing for the females. I mean, there's a lot of loaded topics that go into this that we could touch on how the female athlete differs from the male athlete. But the big take home message is that, these foundational things need to be implemented and build up to parallel the amount of volume of sports specific and training and gameplay that's going on. So that's what determines the, the return to play is really as soon as the athlete can demonstrate to me that they can handle these tasks and these movements in these positions, you know, well, and we have those milestones and those checkpoints, the things that we're looking for. Dude, I'll tell you what, this is amazing stuff. And hopefully they'll want us back as some resident experts on the, on their page, because I'll tell you what, this, um, this is what we live for, right? This is where we've been saying it forever. It's about the parent and the athlete education behind this. We understand that we can't treat every athlete, right? right. That's, that's, that's obvious. But what we're trying to do is really get the message out there, really look into and ask questions and do the research in your area, find the good physical therapist, Find out what type of technology that you're using. Don't be afraid to question these surgeons and these physical therapists if your kid doesn't feel right or doesn't look right. You know. So again, I, listen. I thank you for your time. I appreciate this. This is going to go up today on the or tonight on the YouTube or I'm sorry, the Facebook page, the ACL uh, ACL Recovery Club, and the parents of the ACL Recovery Club page will also put it up on our ACL Return to Play Club page. Uh, it'll be available, obviously, on the YouTube and, and, and things like that. But uh, hopefully, again, like I, like I said, we'll be able to do more of these. But uh, I appreciate your time today, man. Absolutely. It's great All right, talk. brother. All, All right, right. We'll talk soon. All right.